welcome to the podcast. I'm Dr. Lori Marvis, and I'm so honored to welcome Jeff Katch. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you, Lori? Good. Thank you. So, Jeff, you're the Chief Impact Officer at Rodell Institute, and some of us may not be familiar with, one, the Rodell Institute, but also what a Chief Impact Officer is. So, can you kind of give us a little history of both, please? Absolutely. Yeah, well, and history is exactly what's in store here, because Rodell Institute has actually been around for seven decades, and we're widely known as the global leader in regenerative agriculture. Um, our founder, J.I. Rodale, uh, is the person who actually coined the term organic as it's used today. And he's known as being the pioneer of the entire organic food and farming movement in North America. So he established the Rodale Institute in 1947. And um, he actually really was credited with really establishing uh, this whole industry, which is now a $100 billion industry worldwide. Um, Rodale Institute is a research and education organization. We're a nonprofit based in Eastern Pennsylvania. And we're really, put, we've been putting the hard science to this idea of organic agriculture for 70 years. So we have a team of PhD scientists here and a 333 acre farm, which we call a living laboratory. And every square inch of this farm is devoted to do the research that is helping farmers all over the world to adopt regenerative organic practices on their farms. Um, I joined the organization about 26 months ago. Uh, what's really interesting is that I served on the board of directors prior to becoming an employee here. And over the context of my tenure on the board, I just fell more and more in love with the mission. And it felt very much a part of me as a person, particularly because of some of the things that I've gone through with my own health. And I felt so indebted to this organization that I asked them for a job. And uh, our CEO and I have known each other for a long time and have a great friendship and relationship. And uh, he asked me to join the organization to really help position Rodale Institute as a household name. We really want to become known among consumers across America and around the world. We're very well known in the science community and in the agricultural community, but we want to begin to touch consumers. And so in order to do that, we measure our success on impact. Um, as a nonprofit, we're in the business of having impact. And we measure our impact on whether or not we're helping farmers and farmland transition away from chemical dependent agriculture to organic methods. And so in my, in my role, I oversee all the external affairs of the organization. Uh, Jeff kind of split the organization, Jeff Moyer, our CEO, split the organization in half. And so I oversee um, all efforts that are outwardly facing for the Institute. So I got so many questions down. So can you tell me what's the difference between regenerative and organic, or are these this one and the same, or is it a completely different process? That's an awesome question. And one, and you're not alone in asking that. There's, that's on the minds of many people right now. Mm -hmm. um, so the word regenerative has begun to build momentum in our vernacular over the last couple of years. We're hearing um, people move away from this word sustainability and toward the word regenerative. And that makes Rodale Institute very happy because uh, not only did J.I. Rodale, our founder, coin the term organic, but his son, Robert Rodale, who was equally a visionary and our leader um, up until 1990, uh, Robert Rodale began using the word regenerative in front of agriculture back in the 70s because he felt that um, he, was, he was a world traveler and he was spending a lot of time in Africa and Asia and parts of the world where uh, he was looking at agricultural systems that were fundamentally broken. And he was saying to himself, what is here to be sustained? There's nothing 
there's nothing worth sustaining. And so he felt like the word regenerative better applied because we needed to create agricultural systems that would make the soil better, that would make people consuming the food better, that would ultimately make communities better. And so that's where the word regenerative came from. Um, you know, the word, or, so when you're, to answer your question, regenerative organic, um, it's a farming production system that really, it's more than just taking the chemicals out of farming. So, you know, there's the USDA organic certification that all of us know. When we go to the grocery store, we see that little logo on food items. And that's really great. In fact, Rodale helped to pass that legislation back in 1990 and all the way through to 2000 when that label ended up on shelves. Rodale was very much involved in, in, in the, the passing of the National Organic Production Act, which is legislation out of Washington, D.C. under the USDA. Um, and that was really a huge step in our agricultural systems to begin to get farmers to move away from chemical dependent agriculture. So whenever a consumer buys an organic product at the grocery store, they can trust that that food was, was grown in a methodology that didn't include chemicals. Now, Rodale feels that it's time for us to raise the bar. And we've come up, uh, we've come forward with a new standard in agriculture called the regenerative organic certification. You can, if your audience is interested in reading more, they can go to regenorganic.org. And this is the highest bar in food and farming production that not only accounts for getting the chemicals out of the system, but it also takes into effect, how is that farmer managing the soil? How is that farmer treating his or her employees? Are they being paid a fair wage? And number three is how are animals in those agricultural systems being treated? Because currently the USDA organic certification does not account for soil health, human labor, and animal welfare. So Rodale is really saying we wanna create the highest bar in agriculture and we've done that by rolling out this regenerative organic certification. Oh, wow. There's so much to this. So let's say that I, I'm, I'm a consumer and I'm a mom or, you know, just someone who's listening to the podcast. And maybe I, I never really understood the value of soil. Can you tell us? So when we look at soil and why should we be concerned about the chemicals and what's happening to our top soil and what makes a healthy um, soil, I mean, why is it important to us? Well, let me start by saying that soil is alive. And I think, Lori, I think this has been um, one of the most overlooked ecosystems of our time. So did you know that one teaspoon of healthy soil has over 9 billion microorganisms in it? That's more than there are people on the planet. It is <laughs> in one teaspoon? One teaspoon. And it we know our, from our science that so not just Rodale science, but we know that soil is the most complex ecosystem in our in our in the world. So it's more complex than oceans. It's more complex than rainforests. Soil is a living, breathing microorganism. It's a it's a it's a microbiome of, of activity of life that you and I depend on every single day. And we are killing our soil at rates that are, um, that are very concerning. And uh, there was a report that came out from the United Nations a few, year, a few years ago that shows that if we continue on the agricultural path that we're on, we have about 60 growing seasons left before it's lights out for homo sapiens. So we, we are at this tremendous tipping point in human history where we need as a species to reconnect with the soil and to begin to understand the power that lies within 
And um, I think I'm rambling now, but, and I'm not sure if, uh, if I'm getting no, that, the original question. No, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, so I, you know, I was telling you before we started, I interviewed um, Luis Hoyas, and he was talking about, you know, his racing to extinction movie and how we're, you know, killing the plankton from the oceans and they create half of the oxygen we breathe. And that was kind of there. And now we're talking about soil and 60 years of growing seasons. That's really concerning. I mean, like this could be in, you know, maybe not my lifetime, but certainly my children's. Um, it's, it's uh, very disturbing. So what can we do as consumers to help in this process? Because it's one thing to hear it but, you know, people want to feel moved to do something. Is there anything that we can do? Oh, there's, there's so much we can do. In fact, we as consumers, we are the solution. Mm. And the, the good news is that we can literally eat our way out of this problem. <laughs> <laughs> what I mean by that is that um, we as, a, as consumers, we, there's something that, uh, that our, our mutual friend, Dr. Scott Stoll, often says. He often refers to the power of the plate. And I believe that that eating is a spiritual act, that we have a choice that we make three times a day. And I think it's time for us as a, as a culture to begin to go a level deeper. So I think um, you, you can clearly see that consumers are waking up to this idea of human health and how food can have an impact on our health. But I think it's time to ask a deeper question. It's not enough to ask what we're eating, but we have to begin to ask how what we're eating was produced. We need to befriend farmers. We need to develop a relationship with people that grow our food. We need to support those farmers that are stewarding our soil with the highest degree of integrity. Uh, there are countless farmers out there that are doing tremendous work to reverse our course. Uh, and those farmers need to be supported by consumer demand. So every time we as consumers choose to purchase organic produce or go to a farmer's market and support our local farmers, we are actually taking one step closer towards reversing the course that we're on. And you know what, the more that we do that, and right now organic is about 6% of the total US food market share. So 6% of all the food we purchase is certified organic. 14% of all the produce we purchase is certified organic. Economic theorists believe that when we get to 15%, that's when it's lights out for the agrochemical industry. That's when their financial models become unviable. And so my, that's maybe perhaps a long-winded way of saying that we as consumers get to be part of the solution. And, uh, and to me, that's very exciting. Now, when we do that, because it, you know, I, we, I talk to a lot of patients about their health and buying food and the, the question of organic always comes up. And of course, I'm always saying organic is best, but you know, I still want you eating plants if you can't afford it. So the cost is an issue which seems so bizarre to me. Here you are, you have a, you know, the certified organic, which is the healthiest for us, but it, yes, it costs more because of all the things I'm assuming, all the steps they have to go through in order to get that label. Will that ever change? Will the fact that something's organic, the carrying the label make it, you know, more reasonably cost? Is it subsidies? What's, what is the issue? The issue, yeah, the issue isn't necessarily the certification. I'm, you'd be surprised the cost to get certified as an organic farmer is, Minimal, and frankly, our, our government, the USDA, provides a cost share for farmers. So there is monies available to farmers to help offset the cost of their certifications. And if, if anyone in your audience is interested in learning more about that, we have plenty of resources on Rodale Institute's website. 
However, um, you know, you may remember uh, at the conference this past year, I showed a slide that, that showed that in 1960, we were spending about um, one third of the amount of our GDP on healthcare than we were on foods. So we were essentially spending three times more on food than, they were, than we were on healthcare in 1960. And today we spend double the amount. We spent about $3.2 trillion on healthcare versus I believe, uh, I think the numbers are 600 million of our GDP. Um, so it's like staggering to think that we spend more than double uh, the amount of money to take care of sick people. And so what I would argue is that organic food is simply the real price for real food. We externalize the cost of food. We, we as a society have asked um, for cheap food and that's exactly what we've been given is commoditized, um, poorly produced, uh, soil degradating food is what ends up on most of our plates. And the reality is, is that between healthcare costs and environmental costs, we're paying for that on the back end. As, 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 a, as, a, as a citizen of the United States, our, our tax dollars are ultimately paying for those things. And so um, we need to begin to shift our mindset. I think it's a mindset that we have um, a society that will spend to go um, out to dinner, you know, with a for family of four, let's say, and think nothing of spending $100 at a, at a time to get mediocre food when, you know, I can say personally that my wife and I make uh, decisions to, we opt out of going out to dinner so that we can afford to put organic food on our, on our table. So I think it's all relative. I think we need to begin looking at our priorities as a culture um, and reprioritizing. Now, yes, there is definitely a subsidy factor that is weighing in as well. Organic farmers don't qualify for the same subsidies that conventional farmers do. Um, are the banking industry, the, finan the financial systems that prop up our conventional ag systems are in some ways artificial. They're incentivizing bad behavior. Um, and they're incentivizing our farmers to continue to perpetuate the, the chemical production methodologies that, that they're using because it's safe. Banks don't want to take risks. And um, so our organic farmers have to take on more risk than conventional farmers. And, Therefore, there's some costs associated that you and I pay for, but um, I think we're making a better investment with our with our monies. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that makes a, a lot more sense. Thanks for explaining that. Um, so when you think about, um, let's just the act of farming. So can you just walk us through, so you have, you know, a soil that's been tillaged and, you know, just decimated. How do you go about regenerating it? I mean, it, I mean, is it always possible or is there's, it has to have something still alive in it? Yeah, you know, this is such a, a beautiful question because as I mentioned at the outset, soil is a living, breathing organism and it begins to regenerate the moment we begin to feed it and give it life. So it's just like a sick patient, you know, when you begin to care for that patient with attention and care and nourish it give it nutrients, rest it, water it, feed it, it begins to come back to life almost immediately. Um, and we've seen soils recover in less than a year. We see dramatic improvements. In, and, and the way we measure health of soil, one of the, there's many ways of measuring the health of the soil, but we often talk about soil organic matter. It's a, it's a particular uh, measurement of, of organic matter in soil. And, um, here at Rodale Institute, we purchased the farm that our research 
is on in 1975. And at that time, the soil organic matter was about 1%. And today our soils exceed 6% in certain parts of the farm. So, you know, soil does take time to build, you know, it doesn't happen overnight. However, the microbiology reverses course the moment you begin to manage it differently. Hmm. So then can you tell me a little bit about your no-till roller crimper? Because I saw you present about this and I just found it utterly fascinating. So can you explain why that's better than regular like plowing and tilling up the dirt? For sure. Yeah, absolutely. So um, you as a medical doctor understand the human microbiome, correct? Mm -hmm. And that's really the, the sort of the, as I understand it, sort of the microbiological life that lives within us that makes us who we are. Um, and it also has a lot of impact on our ability to be healthy humans. Well, the soil in the same way has a microbiome. And uh, oddly enough, I think there's science that's be beginning to connect the same microbiology that lives in our soils or the lack thereof with that in the human gut. And so we began to disrupt the microbiome of the soil the moment we began to, to till and plow at the rates that we do in today, in today's agriculture. Um, a lot of farms around the world rely on tillage to su suppress weeds and to cultivate and to ultimately grow row crops. And it's extreme, plowing and tilling are extremely disruptive to the life in the soil. You know, soil, healthy soil has, I think it's something like 70 earthworms per square foot of soil. So earthworms are what aerate and what, and what carry nutrients deep down into the soil. And they are really sort of this part of the symbiosis of, of what makes healthy soil, as well as all the bacteria and the fungi and the viruses that, that create the environment for healthy soil. And as we run plows through our fields, we're just breaking all of that apart. We're killing earthworms. We're killing microbiological life that upholds the soil. And so we at the Rodale Institute have pioneered a new methodology of farming. We call it organic no-till. Uh, Jeff Moyer, our CEO, was the person who actually invented the roller crimper. Um, it's got a funny story because he, he, people ask him all the time, Jeff, where did you get the idea for the roller grimper? And he said, oh, it was real simple. I was just watching my wife one night make pasta at home in the kitchen. And it essentially is a tool, an implement that goes on the front of a tractor. And we're asking farmers to, um, to plant a cover crop. So cover crops are these um, nitrogen fixing crops that a farmer should plant in between your cash crops. You never want to leave soil bare. You always, as a farmer, should have something green and growing all, all 12 months of the year on your farm. And so a farmer would typically plant a cover crop in the fall after they harvest. The cover crop establishes in the fall. It comes up and really matures in the spring. And then that's when you would come through with your roller crimper. Instead of plowing, you're actually rolling that cover crop down. You terminate it. It dies. But it, it provides almost like a mulch on top of the field. And then the farmer in one pass seeds their next crop at the same time. So they roll it down and in the back of the tractor, there's a planter and they're planting their soybeans or their corn. And then as that corn comes up through that weed bed, the, weed, uh, the, the carpet, the cover crop protects the weeds from growing, but the, crop, the cash crop makes it through. Does that make sense? Yeah, so now they make it through because they made the area for it to actually grow with the plant. That's right. When the planter comes through, it cuts a slit in the ground. So it cuts a slit just wide enough to drop the seed in and for that seed to come up through the carpet. Oh, wow. So everything else decays and creates mulch and 
food for all the earthworms and all the microorganisms. Right. And at, so you're kind of building the soil and at the same time, your, your cash crop doesn't suffer from weeds. And so then during the, between, between your cash crops, you're getting this coverage. So your soil's protected as well, right? So it's not gonna blow away or wash away. That's 100% correct, yeah. Oh. yeah. This is revolutionary and what's exciting is that it's actually being adopted at scale on farms that are thousands of acres all over the world. Oh, wow. Yeah, so it's not just for small scale agriculture. We're saying we can replace the plow with the roller crimper. That is, it's amazing that it took that long. That one night, isn't it incredible how one night <laughs> someone yeah. making pasta? Well, that well, is a, amazing. If you really want to get historical, if, um, if you think about it, the advent of the Industrial Revolution was in what, 900 AD? And do you know what? was the catalyst for the industrial revolution? No. It was the plow. Really? So Jeff Moyer might have disrupted 1100 years of history. <laughs> I guess there's only one Jeff Moyer every 1100 years, huh? <laughs> oh, actually maybe one in, the, in all of human history. <laughs> That's Once amazing. You Jeff, you'll know what I'm talking about. He's an awesome <laughs> guy. There will never be another Jeff Moyer. I can't wait. Um, so that kind of leads me to uh, another question, speaking about regenerative soil, but there's also regenerative health. And I know you're working with one of my favorite people, Dr. Scott Stoll, mm. about the Regenerative Health Institute. Can you explain what that is exactly? Oh, and what's the yeah. mission? This is so exciting. So, um, and by the way, you and I share a mutual friend. Scott is one of my dear friends as well. And I'm just so blessed to have him come into my life. He's been an amazing friend and partner, and he's actually the medical partner to Rodale Institute. So we, um, we've established a relationship with the Plantrition Project, and that um, the, the genesis really was J.I. Rodale's original mission statement for the Institute. He said in 1947 that healthy soil equals healthy food equals healthy people. So that's our mission statements on the back of my business card, it's on our website, and it's the guiding light to everything we do here at the Institute. And when I, when I think about that and contemplate it, I think what J.I. Rodale was saying is that our job as farmers isn't to produce food. Mm. I think he was saying that our job as farmers is to produce healthy people. Mm. And, and really the catalyst for working with Dr. Stoll is that when's the last time a doctor talked to a farmer? You know, <laughs> we just don't have those conversations and we want to begin that conversation. We need our medical professionals engaged with our agricultural community because it's our farmers that are on the front lines of human health every day you know in an ideal world the doctors are the are on the defense you know are, are sort of they're uh they're not on the offense on the offensive our farmers should be on the offensive and they should be the ones looking out for our human health and um you know maybe that would have ramifications so that less people have to go to the doctor but with all of that said We've established a relationship with the Plantrition Project because Rodale Institute wants to start a conversation, the first conversation in the world, really, that would put doctors and farmers in the same room. We want to build a physical center here at our 333-acre campus. We're calling it the Regenerative Health Institute, and it's a, new, a newly formed nonprofit, a project between Rodale Institute and, and the Plantrition Project that would create a global hub for doctors, farmers, and scientists to come together and to begin to link soil health with human health. That's really the center point of the conversation. And in this center, we would certainly be con conducting science, but we would also create 
a, a physical place, a, a hub of education where people can come and learn and get continuing education around this topic, but also create a global dialogue that could impact policy and, um, and ultimately our medical system. So yeah, we're in the early stages and we're frankly, we're looking for support to help us to build this initiative and to get it off the ground. And so we would value any and all support from, from your audience that might be interested. Cool, and I will put, there's a donation page for that on your website? Uh, yes, there is. And they can yeah. just go to rodaleinstitute.org and then search Regenerative Health Institute. and it'll. I'll find the link for yeah. sure. Okay, cool. You know, you could almost create a new specialty, right? So you have a physician who's also a soil expert in sharing that information to kind of be the liaison between. Yeah, can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, please. So we um, at Rodale Institute, we have a regional medical, uh, well, it's a healthcare system and it's a hospital system called St. Luke's. And they're one of the biggest players in the state of Pennsylvania. They have a campus about 20 miles away from us. Uh, it's a new campus they built a few years ago and it was uh, built on about a 400 acre farm, I believe. So they bought farmland and then they built this state-of-the-art you know, hospital and, and facility, but they only needed like 40 acres to do that. So they leased out the rest of the land to a local farmer. And in that spring, after the campus opened, the CEO of the hospital was sitting in this nice new office and opened up his fancy new window and you know, a, a smell came through the window that he'd never smelled before. He knew it wasn't, that, that something was, was wrong. It didn't smell natural. So he called his facilities director. The facilities director came down to the office and the CEO explained what was, you know, what he was experiencing. And facilities director said, well, yeah, of course, look, look out your window. And there's the farmer preparing his fields with an herbicide uh, for the spring. He was about to do his spring planting. And the CEO said, you know, well, we can't have that. Those are toxic chemicals he's spraying, and this is a hospital, and these are there's sick patients in these beds. Mm -hmm. And so the CEO called Rodale Institute, and uh, we've embarked on a partnership that's been real revolutionary. We've actually built one of, I think it was the first farm to hospital in the, in the United States where Rodale Institute actually has employees at that farm, at that hospital, and all the food that is grown there ends up on patients' plates. Wow. And um, we've now, St. Luke's has now started a residency where the residents can spend time on the farm learning how to grow food. Okay, that's see, that's just awesome. Isn't that's is, this a, is that a family practice residency? Um, I believe so. I think that there's internal medicine and, uh, and people from that discipline that go through. But I, I can verify. Um, oh, I can look. I'm, my daughter's just in her third year of medical school, so... She's wanting to do family medicine, so I'm going to maybe send cool. her some information. That's awesome. yeah. yeah, cool. And wow, that's, you know, you had mentioned a little bit about your own health challenges. And could you share with us kind of your journey and, and what you felt was is key as far as you're on your road to recovery? Yeah, yeah. In fact, um, you know, I, I felt ill in, in the fall of 2016 with unexplained, unexplainable symptoms. Um, I was actually in a different, on a different career path at the time. I was serving on the board of directors here at the Institute, but I had a different, you know, day job, so to speak, and felt ill um, in September of 2016 and started going back and forth to uh, then my family doctor. And, you know, over about a 90 day period, it was back and forth, back and forth, and was very sick with 
all kinds of symptoms and he was doing all kinds of blood work and never found anything in the blood work, never really could explain what was wrong with me. And it was very scary. And frankly, it put me into a really deep depression because when I went to my own doctor who I thought I could trust and he turned me away because he couldn't figure out what was wrong with me, I thought, I thought, you know, that something serious was wrong. And it was very scary. Um, what's interesting is that at one point that same doctor put me on a broad spectrum antibiotic when he couldn't figure anything else out. He just threw some antibiotics at it and the antibiotic itself made me very sick. And what's interesting is that what that did to my body is not unlike how most of our conventional farmers treat the soil. You know, glyphosate Roundup is really a broad spectrum antibiotic that kills all the life in the soil. And after I took that antibiotic, um, my life was never the same again. And uh, I did eventually get to a very literate doctor, um, a functional medicine doctor who helped me to find the, the root cause, um, but also treated me for some of the toxicity of that antibiotic. And, you know, it's interesting, you know, what ultimately healed me, there was no medicine to heal me. It was, it was food, <laughs> mm -hmm. it was lifestyle, it was rest, it was mindfulness and meditation practices, it was movement. It's been a long road to recovery, but ultimately my doctor taught me to empower myself through food and through lifestyle to ultimately heal. So it was very, very, um, it was a very interesting journey, but I think that journey is really what informed and inspired the work that I'm doing today. Hmm. So you're, you are someone who's in the process of being regenerated after yeah. you were decimated by chemical means as such an infection. Um, and now you're regenerating through the healthy means that we're supposed to, how to take care of ourselves. And you're sharing that inspiration with the soil and people at Rodell and your work. That's pretty cool. Well, it is. And I would take it one step further and say that I've actually, one of the biggest, um, you know, awakenings for me in this healing journey is that what I've actually had, what was most helpful to me in this process was thinking about farming my body. Because hmm. like how I've treated my body has really created the environment for healing. Wow. That's so very true. We take it so for granted, everything that we do in every moment, you know, we're like, oh, we're too busy. Well, you're going to be at a point when like you, right, you come to a halt because your body's like, yo, I've had enough. <laughs> Jeez. So I, I'm going to have questions too. You know, some people ask, you know, you have regenerative soils and, you know, practices. Does it require animals in order to regenerate soil? Is that, have you found, I mean, what does that process look like? Is that necessary? Yeah, I'm certainly in no way advocating for consuming animals, and I would certainly speak very, um, I would speak very much against the consumption of animals that come from confinement area feeding operations because that's some of the most toxic food a human can put in their body. However, Rodale's science would suggest that um, by a farmer bringing animals into the overall system can improve soil health. Uh, actually would it will improve soil health. Um, no, you do not need animals to have a healthy, vital, regenerative system. You can use legumes, cover crops. They're not as effective um, than some of the, the animal systems that we've replicated here. But we need to begin to think about animals as part of a system and creating a healthy life for them too. Um, and uh, our, our science has found that when you bring animals into agricultural systems, it does improve soil health. I mean, if you think about it, the Great Plains, some of our most arable farmland in the world, was built by bison that were migrating over those lands for millennia. Mm. And it was really the 
that sort of migratory pattern that built some of those, those soils. So yeah, I would say that animals in a system certainly improve soil health. I think I remember seeing a, a, a video, I, I can't remember the name it off the top of my head, where they took some land that was just had been decimated and they did see they, you know, they used that migratory pattern type thing going and it did help regenerate. Um, but you know, it's interesting because some people are so um, with their, you know, ethical treatment of animals, which I absolutely agree with. Um, and they don't even want them to be a part of, even if they're not harmed, you know, it's even that migratory pattern, which is interesting. So, you know, for me, I'm like, we have to have a place for them. You can't just <laughs> let them go. If they're used to being the domesticated animals, we do need a way of caring for them as well. So I think that's really fascinating. Yeah, I can um, tell you this, that, I mean, I don't think anyone is in favor of putting animals in confinement. They don't belong in confinement. Animals belong on pasture where they can have a much happier, healthier life. And in eating the food they were meant to be eating. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so then as far as your your current state where you are at the Rodell, what is what would the future look like? So what is what would be the ultimate future that Rodell would like to see and say, you know, our work is done. So yeah. it'd be kind of like, what is your vision? Yeah, well, the, the vision is to transition farm all farms and farmland from conventional chemical methods to organic. We've actually set a goal. We're calling it one to five by 25. Um, right now, sadly, only 1% of America's farmland is certified organic. And so we've, it's about 1 million acres. And so we've set an ambitious goal of five, five million acres or 5% by 2025. So really the next five years, I can't speak to, I don't, I don't know what an endpoint looks like because even once all the farmland in the world has transitioned to organic, then Rodale still has work to do because our science is what's informing better practices. You, you know, just because someone transitions doesn't mean there's, we want to foster an, a, a mindset of continuous improvement on farms. Mm. So I don't think our work will ever be done, but you know, over the next five years, we want to see America move from 1 million to 5 million acres. So what type of carbon footprint happens when you move to organic? How much do you know how much that reduces? Yeah, well, it's interesting that you would ask that question today because just yesterday there was a, um, a very concerning uh, headline that came out of, uh, I think it was PBS NewsHour, that was actually um, in some, it was, and it was a very, in my, my opinion, it was a very inaccurate news piece and our science could actually um, uh, poke quite a few holes in the, in the article, but it was talking about organic farming actually creating more greenhouse gas emissions than conventional and it's just, it's just, it's not true. Uh, Rodale Institute has done enough science and others, other organizations have done enough science that have shown that, you know, regenerative organic methods store carbon in the soil. You know, plants, they metabolize carbon and carbon is stored in the soil. When soils are managed correctly, we actually have proven that we could pull most of the global greenhouse emissions that are in our atmosphere. If we just switch all of America's uh, cropping land, not, not even, um, not even grazing land, but cropping land, if we, sh if we shifted it to regenerative organic practices, it would store all of the global carbon emissions on an annual basis. So we know that these systems have tremendous ramifications for climate change. And, um, and we have enough studies that, that would show that organic systems can feed the world. You know, that's the other thing you hear all the time is, well, can organic really feed the world? Yeah, we, we have more than enough food on this planet 
We, right. That's not the issue. And in fact, Rodale science has proven over 40 years, we have a 40 year study that would show that um, organic systems outperform conventional by up to 40%, especially in years of drought and extreme wet. So wow. that's, that's, not, that's not an issue. That's incredible. So basically, you know, with all the interviews and things that I've learned and read, I mean, this literally comes down to what is on our plate and the choices that we're making three times a day. Yeah, conscious choices. Yes, exactly. Conscious choices, consciously feeding our bodies well, which helps the environment, the animals, and the soil, and long-term health of our planet. I mean, it literally is. I mean, it's just people say, oh, I'm so hopeless. I'm one person. I'm like, yeah, but you're one person among millions. If all million of us chooses or billions, that's where things will change. And, you know, I love the tipping point component of that too. You know, I hear anywhere between 10 and 15% of society when we, when we do that, that's when, you know, it's, it's an accepted practice. So hopefully, you know, it's moving the plant-based diet forward. Yeah. One yeah. step at a time. But Absolutely. amazing. So I know we're running out of time. Do you have any last bit of advice for someone who maybe interested in the road Because I know you have a ton of programs. I'm a vet myself. And really? um, yeah. And I was like, darn, if I'd have known about this, <laughs> I might've got, well, I was a doctor at the Air Force, but what a cool program you have for vets. But I was attracted to that. But I mean, is, tell us for someone who might be intrigued by what they're hearing and they're like, well, maybe I want to do, look into what, you know, maybe switching gears or switching careers and where should they look and what should they Well, do? certainly our website is, is, um, is replete with all kinds of uh, resources and information. So I would highly recommend rodaleinstitute.org. Um, on there, if you're interested in coming out and spending time with us, training with us, interning with us, we offer a myriad of opportunities here at our research farm. We've also opened satellite campuses in Iowa, Georgia, and California. So there will be opportunities for people across the nation to connect with those satellites. Um, I also highly recommend on our website, um, hopefully by the time this podcast is published, there will be a new resource called The Truth About Organic on our website. It's a downloadable PDF that will really go deeper into everything that I've addressed today. Um, and that's going to be a great resource. But I uh, really encourage you to follow us on social media, opt into our newsletter, consider supporting organic farming research via the Rodell Institute. And I can assure you that you will be joining us in healing the world. That's phenomenal. Excellent. So I'll be putting the links. When will the truth about organic be available? Um, sometime in the next few weeks, but I'll get you an exact date. Perfect. Awesome. And thank you, Jeff. This was a very insightful and helpful conversation. I'm sure we could continue talking, but I understand you have to go. So I do appreciate your time. It's been a, it's been a real honor and a pleasure to speak with you today, Laurie. Awesome. Thank you. Maybe uh, we can do it again and talk about the truth about organic and really deep dive deep into the organic and the uh, conventional. I would, love, I would love that opportunity to do a part two. Awesome. Sweet. We'll definitely plan that then. So. Keep up the great work you're doing. What you're doing is so important and so needed. And we need people like you to help get the truth out there. Well, I appreciate it. You know, it started just as a, a place to host places for to send patients. Go listen to this because I got so tired of telling these amazing stories. And then it just turned into an opportunity to meet amazing people <laughs> like you. So it's a win-win. <laughs> cool. So, but I so appreciate it. And, um, Thanks everyone for listening.